You know, ever since we were children, we were taught that jealousy is wrong, and jealousy is a sin, and we ought not to be jealous. Today I'm going to show you that jealousy is not only good, but it is also a virtue, let alone it being number 13 in the series of messages or 15 secrets for positive living. Because our understanding of the word jealousy and the dictionary definition of it differ from the Bible usage of the word, I want to give you a new concept. And whenever I'm giving you a new concept or a new idea, it's always hard to accept and it's always hard to fathom, but I'm going to prove it to you from the Scripture. Now, when you do exercise and when you do begin to learn to practice this holy jealousy, I promise you that you will be fulfilled. Not only that, but you will be in the very center of the will of God. Not only that, but you will truly experience the power of positive living. And where do I begin? Well, I begin with God. And the Bible says from cover to cover that God is a jealous God, that one of the characteristics of God is jealousy. It's right there in the Scripture. In the second commandment, in Exodus chapter 20, it says that God is a jealous God. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, it's God says of Himself, I am a jealous God. In the book of Joshua 24, 19, Joshua said, our God is a jealous God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22, the apostle Paul said that God is a jealous God. And if God is a jealous God, and if jealousy belongs to God and belongs to the Lord, you and I need to know how to develop a godly jealousy, how to develop righteous jealousy, how to develop holy jealousy. The problem begins with our use of the word. And we use the word jealous and the word envy interchangeably. And they're really not two in the same concepts and not two in the same words. They mean two different things. And I, I'm telling you from several years of studying this from the Scripture, not from the dictionary. We use the word jealousy to mean envy, and sometimes we use envy to mean jealousy. You see, envy is desiring or coveting what belongs to somebody else. Jealousy, on the other hand, as we see it throughout the Scripture, it means guarding that which is yours. And therefore, envy is wrong, but jealousy is not. Let me illustrate this. When a husband and wife are deeply in love with each other, they should zealously, they should jealously guard that special relationship between them. But suppose a third person comes into that relationship. Suppose a third person intrudes on that relationship. What happens? Jealousy kicks in. Is that wrong? Not on your life. It is not wrong at all. In fact, the opposite is true. It would be wrong if there were no jealousy at all experience here. Why? Because exclusiveness, hear me right, please, exclusiveness is the very heart of marriage. And jealousy here is merely guarding what belongs exclusively to that relationship. 
And at that point, jealousy is not only right, it is a virtue. There would be something wrong, there would be something drastically wrong if jealousy is not experienced in this case. And whenever that happens, you're not only doing the right thing, but you're also exercising number 13 in the secrets of positive living. But before I get to the text, I want to illustrate further. Why do we have alarm systems in our homes, and we have alarm systems in our cars, and we have alarm systems in our businesses, and we even have an alarm system in the church? (laughs) Why? Why? Because as good stewards, we are trying to protect our stewardship. We are protecting that which God has given us. And not to do that is to be negligent. Why does the Bible say that God is a jealous God? Why is God jealous toward His children when they attempted to run away with somebody else or something else, when something else steals their heart and their commitment? Why does the Bible say that? Why does the Bible say that God becomes a jealous God when His children attempted to run off and run away from Him? Why does God feel jealousy toward one of His children when he or she is being misled? Whether they are misled by false teachers or false teaching or empty rituals or self-worship or material possessions or by their own fanciful ideas and opinions. Why? Why is that? I'm glad you asked. I want you to hear me right. Because God's commitment to you, His child, is a total commitment. And total commitment feels deeply when the other person does not reciprocate that commitment. Because God's love for you, His child, is an exclusive love. And what exclusive love that does not get jealous when it's snubbed? Because God is passionate about you, His child. And what a passionate person does not feel jealousy when the object of His passion is apathetic and cold and indifferent toward Him. Now, let me balance this concept of jealousy because I know some of you are going to send me letters and emails and say, I know somebody who is jealous, and their jealousy drove them insane. How can you tell me this? So, I want to anticipate you and save you a lot of trouble of writing to me. So, let me balance this. Because of sin and because we are living in this flesh, And because we're living in this world, therefore, what is pure and holy and what is given to us for God's glory and what is given to us for our own self-protection gets inverted. You see, like fear. Fear is a gift of God to us, and He gives it to us. Why? So that we can fear the holy God. But sin has inverted this, and we begin to fear people but not God. You see… That is the balance I want to bring your attention. Because of sin and the flesh, our jealousy can become selfish. It can become possessive. It can become insecure, and it can become suspicious. And what is virtuous turns into a sin. 
So that's a balance. Keep that in mind. But you see, it is not so with God's jealousy. It is not so with God's jealousy. You see, God's jealousy is pure. It is holy. It is righteous. It is selfless. It is the real deal. It is perfect. And therefore, you and I need to learn to develop godly jealousy, godlike jealousy, holy jealousy. Somebody would say, but why doesn't God just leave His children do what they want? Isn't that true that we say when you love somebody, just let them be who they are? If God really loves us, why does He become jealous when we are tensions taken away from Him and when we don't love Him in return, when we don't serve Him with our heart? Why does God become jealous? If He loves us, shouldn't He leave us alone? <laughs> you see, that's our modern fangled idea of love. Now, we think that if you love a person, you let them do whatever they want to do. But let me tell you something about God's love. God's love is total, it's complete, and it is forever. God's love never gives up. God's love never said, oh, my goodness, Michael has gone astray. I'm going to wash my hands off him. No, 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 no. God doesn't do that. And thank God that He doesn't do that. Why does God have to feel jealousy when we forsake Him? Listen to the answer, please. Because God is an all-knowing God. And as all-knowing God, He knows that we would wander away into the wilderness of our own desires, of our own ways. When we are led astray by false teaching, when we become non-discerning and we can't distinguish between right and wrong like the rest of the world, when we run after false teaching and false teachers, and false belief system begins to penetrate our lives and our homes, God, the all-knowing God, knows that the consequences are not only dangerous and serious, but it can be deadly. And He loves us too much to let that happen. God who knows that when we fall into error or deception, we will lose His power in our lives. We will lose His blessings in our lives. We will lose His hand of protection around us. And He loves us too much to let that happen. And that is why godly jealousy is not only a virtue, but also the power for positive living. Someone said, jealousy is God's love protecting itself. Let me repeat that. Jealousy is God's love protecting itself. Now you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to look with me, and I built the case so I can bring you to this point. And the point of chapter 11 could never be understood until you understand the virtue of jealousy, and that jealousy can be virtuous. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There you're going to find the Apostle Paul in a God-like virtue, expressing jealousy for the believers that have been misled and deceived by false teachers and by false apostles. There you find, in the first few verses, a beautiful picture of a Jewish wedding. 
how things happened during those days in terms of marriage relationship. Verse 2, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. What is Paul talking about here? You see, in biblical times, engagements were not just kind of putting your feet in the water to test the temperature, and then you get married. No, no, no. It wasn't just wearing a wedding band and and say, hey, I'm engaged. No, no, no. Back in biblical times, engagements were legally binding. (laughs) The only thing that would break an engagement is death or divorce. The only thing that is left after the betrothal being legal and the man and the woman are called husband and wife, only one thing left to the day of the wedding, and that is the physical consummation of the marriage. But legally, they're husband and wife. Legally, they are considered to be spoken for. The betrothal, as I said, was only broken by death or divorce. You remember how the story of Joseph and Mary, they were betrothed, they were in that kind of condition. They legally, husband and wife, the only thing that was waiting to the day of the marriage is the physical consummation. And that had to wait until the Son of God is born of a pure virgin. Now, during the time of the betrothal, the bride awaits anxiously. Nothing has changed. And she awaits expectantly of the big day of her wedding. And during the time of the betrothal, it is the responsibility of the father, of the bride, to protect his daughter and to keep her faithful until that great day in which he will present her to her groom in the wedding day. He ensures that she remains faithful to her future husband until that day. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, because he led the Corinthians to the Lord, because it was his preaching that saved him from sin and death, because of all of that, he feels like he's the father of the bride, (laughs) that he feels responsible for their spiritual safety. He feels a need to protect them from predators, spiritual predators, from false teachers and false teaching. He feels that he is a spiritual guardian for them until the day when he can present them to the Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, in that great day. Paul sees that to be his responsibility as the father of the bride. He feels that he needs to keep them protected from false teaching. He needs to keep them protected from deceivers until that great day in heaven when all the believers from every nation and every tribe are holding hands with Jesus, the bridegroom. It is not by accident that the Bible gives us an imagery of the believers being the bride and the Lord Jesus Christ as the bridegroom. It's not by accident. You see, most believers don't understand that they really miss it 
They, they, they really miss it. They think that when they come to Christ, give their life to Christ, and they're saved, and, and they talk in this kind of Christianese and, and all this churchianese and all that kind of thing, but they don't understand the very heart of what it means to receive Jesus as the Savior of their soul and the Lord of their life. The Bible tells us that when a believer comes to Christ and he receives Jesus as his or her Savior and that he is the Lord of their life, this is a betrothal. It's a binding engagement. The consummation had not taken place yet. It will be in heaven one day. But you are engaged to the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you so much. You are bound by that betrothal agreement. And one day, as you remain faithful to your bridegroom, you will celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven that the Bible talks about. The big day, the great day, the wonderful day. The Bible talks about the big wedding, the big wedding feast, the big celebration. Sooner or later, my beloved friends, listen to me. Sooner or later, all the believers are going to be hoisted up to heaven, and there will be a wedding of all weddings, a celebration of all celebrations, a party of all parties, when the bridegroom and the bride meet face to face. I don't know about you, but I want to shout hallelujah. You see, when the bridegroom takes us by the hand, presents us to his Father, now you can understand why Paul was feeling heartsick when he saw that some of the believers in Corinth are being misled, and they're wandering off into the wilderness of false belief system. They're wandering into the wilderness of believing their own ideas, believing the media, believing the false teaching. You can see why his heart sick when he saw them to be non-discerning and not distinguishing between truth and falsehood, between true teachers and false teachers. And he is saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if I pay with my life itself, in order to see to it that you are presented to Christ on that great day, faithful to Him faithful to the truth. You know, uh, this past week, my wife and I were talking uh, about our children, but particularly about our two daughters. And we're talking about how, when they were babies, um, how we stayed up all night at times, what with fevers and with colic and with teething and with Croup coughs, those of you moms and dads will understand this. Some of you are going through it right now. And then when they got a little bigger and you're trying to teach them to walk, you literally felt the pain every time they fell. <laughs> and when you put them on a bike, try to teach them how to ride a bike, you felt that pain every time they fell off the bike. And, and how then came school, and then you came with school, came homework, and with homework came studying, and came teachers' conferences, and, and then driving them to, from one activity to the other, from one thing, from one sport to the other. And then we began to spend a small fortune on orthodontists. Uh, orthodontists, please forgive me, I don't mean to insult you, but that's the truth, and that's the fact. <laughs> Moms and dads know what I'm talking about. And then came the driving stage. Oh, my goodness. With all of its anxiety and heartache, 
Anyway, I want to dwell on these things. But I want to encourage all moms and dads with teenage kids. And if you don't have teenagers yet, it's coming. Get ready. Then came college. Oh, my goodness, college. With all of that. I want to get there. And so, all of this, so that we would have the joy of presenting our daughters to their husbands. And you'd say, is it worth it? You better believe it. Every bit of it is worth it and more. And in a similar way, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 11. If you read on, he talks about his sufferings. He talks about his pain. He talks about his sacrifices. He talks about stoning. He talks about being whipped. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about being imprisoned. He talks about his hunger. He talks about his sleeplessness. And so he said, it is all worth it for me to present you faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ on that great day. It's worth it. And more. As if to say, oh, it's worth it for me to do that. Just to know that you are staying faithful in your love for Jesus Christ. It is worth it for me to know that you are staying faithful to the truth of Jesus' gospel. It is worth it for me to know that you are staying faithful to your commitment to Christ. It is worth it for me to be able to present you on that great day to the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Please hear me right on this one. To be jealous when you see a believer being misled is not being judgmental. That's what the other guys tell you. Experiencing jealousy for the truth is one of the secrets of positive living. In fact, not being jealous over believers running away from the truth is being apathetic, is being indifferent, is being self-focused, is being careless, is being unconcerned for what concerns the heart of God. Experiencing the 13th secret and the power of positive living requires that we will look out for one another, that we will look out for one another, that we would watch out for each other, that we would serve one another, that we would care for each other enough to lovingly confront. Paul said, like Satan himself, these false teachers These false apostles are prowling around, masquerading as angel of light. They are pretending to be. False believers will pretend to be the real deal, and they're not. Oh, they may have the word reverend before their name. They may occupy a pulpit. They may dress in clerical garb. They may have theological degrees. They may have crosses on top of their buildings, and they even may wave the Bible. But if they do not proclaim that Jesus and Jesus alone, God of very God, became man of very man, so that He may become the only way to heaven, they are false teachers. (laughs) Beloved, it's time for us to be vigilant. It's time for us to understand the virtue of godly, holy jealousy. It is time to stop sentimentality that is devastating the church of Jesus Christ. It is time to give up sentimentality and stand for the truth.
The power of positive living, 13, will be the tool to bless us. It's my challenge to every one of you today. Every one of you, it's a challenge that today you begin to develop holy, righteous, and godly jealousy. Godly jealousy for the body of Christ. Holy jealousy for the body of Christ. Righteous jealousy for the body of Christ. And I can tell you this, that when we develop godly, holy, righteous jealousy, we're going to see the revival that we've been praying for. We will have a revival like we've never seen before. It's all begin by you and I giving up the spirit of apathy, turning away from the spirit of I am okay, you're okay. It is my prayer that this is your commitment, as it is my commitment. Father, I can talk myself silly, but if your Spirit does not move your people, it's all useless. Only your Holy Spirit can change attitudes, can stir that fire that once burnt in us. And Father, it is my cry that the Holy Spirit would do just that. He or she, young or old, would make a commitment and to ask for your power to develop godly jealousy. Jealousy for the truth. Jealousy, love for the lost. Jealousy for the body. That we would encourage one another and serve one another. For Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.